Jesus, we acknowledge you as worthy, and then we're also going to acknowledge that um, the Spirit you sent to us, the Holy Spirit, is here and can speak to us individually, can show us things, can open up the eyes of our hearts. I'm going to pray for that. You'd open up the eyes of our hearts so we can see things that you want us to see, hear things that you want us to hear, and then take the steps empowered by your Holy Spirit to be the kind of people who change and are transformed by your Spirit so we can be full of life and power that only you can give us. Uh, forgive us for the times we seek life and power from transient things or things that last for a day. And we know that life and power has to come from you. And we ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, uh, opening statement here, the hour's come. You know, this is the hour, and so for me, David goes to college this week. He's in a church with his, uh, his girlfriend in another church today. But So the hour's come. David goes to college. Kathy and I will be empty nesters, right? But it's the hour has come. And that statement, it's like, okay, we hope... David's our fourth child. We hope we've prepared him for what's next. He's going to go to college. Just yesterday, he's not here, so I'm not going to embarrass him. Just yesterday, Kathy was showing him how to run the washing machine. All right? So those are the kind of things you prepare things for when the hour has come, right? Okay, you do this, you do this. You might want to separate the reds from the whites, um, those kind of things. And, you know, we're hoping that when we visit him, you know, cleanliness of room is probably the least of our concerns. We just, we hope we've prepared him for the next stage of life. It's a big stage for him. It's a big stage, you know, if you have, if all, for those of you who have kids that went off to college or if you yourself went off to college or military or whatever, you know, there's, there's this time where the hour has come. It's like, boom, it's a significant time. Because um, you know that it's a, it's a transition moment. Even I think, I can't remember who it was in history that said, this may be our finest hour. Sounds like Churchill. Was that Churchill? This may be our finest hour. I mean, he wasn't meaning 60 minutes. He was just meaning there's a time that is a point of transition where we have spent a lot of time preparing for a moment, and now after this, this hour has come, we have a new challenge, all right? So, and this, this statement is the opening, one of the, the opening statement of a way that Jesus prayed for his disciples. He prayed for us in John 17. So, and we'll talk about this in a second. So I've been doing the Gospel of Matthew for months. Uh, I've had a little more to go in Matthew, but I want to switch to this because I just felt like it's something God wanted me to do. We're going to spend the next four weeks talking about uh, how Jesus prays for us in John 17 as a way to help us think, how do we pray for one another? So one of those things, like, how do we pray? What do, why do we pray? How do we pray? What do we say? That kind of thing. So you've, you've seen these signs up here for a long time. And I told you, somebody said to me a couple years ago, they said, when the church hits struggle, challenge, persecution, or difficulty, the only two things that matter are, can we learn to pray like Jesus, and can we honor the Holy Spirit? doesn't matter what kind of songs you sing in those kind of moments. doesn't matter whether you use drums or or piano. It doesn't matter if you sit on chairs or pews. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. What really matters when things, when the hour comes is, can we learn to pray like Jesus and can we honor the Holy Spirit? So this, for the month of August, the four Sundays, we're going to talk about how do we pray like Jesus? And we're going to use his model in John 17. It's not the Lord's Prayer, but it's he, the whole chapter 17 is him praying for his disciples 
and I, it's accurate to say he, he was praying for us, and he still is. So the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about praying like Jesus. And hopefully it, uh, it's not only going to be insightful for you and for me, but I think it's going to be practical. Because I, I wrestle with times like, how do I, what's the best way to pray for my kids or for my wife or for, how do I pray for Terry Followell? And we think we always have these long kind of ideas, how do we do it? Sometimes, I'm a real fan of just learning how to pray short phrases. Um, not for the sake of being efficient with God, but just like sometimes there's phrases we can just grab onto and say, let's pray. So these four things, if you have what's on your seat, those are the four weeks. These are all four statements that Jesus made in his prayer to God about how he was praying for his disciples. And I, this is actually, uh, this is waterproof, tearproof paper. So I'm actually going to encourage you, uh, keep it in your Bible, put it in your car. Because there's sometimes where I'm just like, I'll be thinking about like my daughter Gretchen, and I'll be like, okay, God, um, teach her your word. Because it's like, I can pray for that, and I know what I mean by that. So you'll have these every week, so by the, if you're here every month, every, every week, you'll have four of these, you can put one in your car. I, I don't care what you do with them, but they're kind of indestructible, but that's the point. Um, and there was a while, months back, I had this, and on the back of it, I had all of your names who were regular people of Exodus. And I would just flip around and be like, okay, I'm going to pray for, you know, Ryan and Katie Edwards and Henry and Olivia that, uh, that God would keep them safe from the evil one. So I thought sometimes it's, how do you, sometimes it's kind of hard. Like, how do you pray for people? How do you? So I thought, well, if Jesus prayed for us this way, it's probably a good place to start. Um, I often think with our kids, I was like, well, I just, you know, like Gretchen just got a job recently. And I thought, okay, it's okay to pray for Gretchen to get a job. But is it, is it more important that I pray this for her? I mean, everybody gets jobs, but this, I want this. So, um, so this, is the, this is the four weeks. Today is keep them safe from the evil one. We'll talk about what that means, and it can sound kind of like, ooh, mystical, you know, like dangerous Satan, but I think there's some practical ways to think about this. So if you flip your card over, this is John 17 on the back side. So we're going to just go to the next slide. We're going to start. I'm not going to read the whole chapter today, but we're going to just start with Jesus' opening statement, all right? So here's what, let me give you the, the context. This is the Last Supper. John chapter 17. It was a few hours later that Jesus would be arrested, and then his process of, you know, torture, crucifixion, and his resurrection were coming soon. But John 13 to 16 also described this, this Last Supper. It was a Passover celebration. It was, an, it was a normal thing to be doing, the disciples had no idea that the hour had come. They didn't know what was going to happen next, right? This was just another Passover. They'd had Passover their whole life. They probably sent something about Jesus that seemed a little bit different. They really didn't know this was going to be like the hour, all right? And Jesus, and Jesus used phrases, you know, he would say to people, my hour has not yet come. You know, the hour is not ready. But now he says... So he, they just finished dinner or whatever, you know, the lamb and the wine and all that. And they're still at the table. Jesus had talked about, he had washed their feet. He had talked about um, the world's going to hate you. You're going to be persecuted. He talked about all kinds of things. Talked about the Holy Spirit. Talked about loving each other. I mean, all these things, it was like, like probably a fire hydrant to the disciples. All these things had been things he had probably said before. But he just had this long table conversation. So I'm just trying to imagine all 
12 disciples, including Judas, but he left during the meal at one time, listening as Jesus is talking and telling them, reminding of things, because this was the hour, all right? Um, so this is how we start. Then, then this is what happens in 17. After saying all these things, chapter 13, 14, and 15, and 16, he looked up to heaven and said, so culture in that time was, wasn't necessarily fold your hands and bow your heads. It was just look up at heaven and pray. So he's talking to God. And he says, Father, say those four words with me. The hour has come. That's how he starts his prayer. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. So the word glory dominates this whole chapter. Glory, if I can say it a certain way, glory just means give, put the spotlight on your son. Put, your, put the spotlight, give prominence to so if we, when we're glorifying Jesus, we're actually giving prominence to Jesus. I liken it to moving the spotlight where it's only on him. That's what to glorify God means. We, we spotlight God and his goodness. So if our lives glorify God, we're spotlighting the goodness of God in our lives to other people. But with the spotlight is on God, not us, all right? So this whole chapter, he's wanting people to see God more clearly, his goodness, his love, his tenderness. But he's also talking about himself because he's going to be glorified through this suffering process for the next couple of days. He says, glorify your son so he can give back to the hours come. So, again, the disciples had no idea what was going to be happening next. And this is one of the reasons I thought, I feel like God wanted me to do this for this month. We have no idea what's happening next in our lives. I'm not going to be a naysayer about the you know, politics or the culture of the world, but we have no idea what's going to be happening in the next month. None of us do, ever. I mean, no matter what time of history we're in. But we don't know if there's not an hour that's come. Maybe even in your own family and marriage, maybe there's an hour that's come that you, you have to be ready for something that you have no idea what's going to happen, but you're going to be ready. You better be ready for it. Some things, you know, maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it is a national thing. Maybe it's a family thing. But we don't know if the hours come for any of us in certain times. I don't mean the hour of death. I mean the hour where there's like, boom, you've had all this preparation time, and now you better know how to run the washing machine kind of thing. You know, that, I mean, that's a small example. So because in the previous chapters when Jesus was talking to all the disciples, he kind of told them, what they're going to be facing. He told them what was going to be next. He told them they're going to be failures. He said, one of you is going to betray me. Judas gets up and leaves. But he basically said, you're all going to run away. And that's when Peter's like, no, I'm not going to run away. Jesus like, no, you will. You're going to deny me three times. So go to the next slide. So there's failure. He tells them about the potential. Go to the next slide. He talks about, uh, yeah, failures. And how you respond to failures how this hour and this hour comes, how you respond to failures is going to have a huge part of how God fills your life. And I'm saying this for Judas and Peter and the disciples, but it's true with us too. How I and you respond to failures in our life and how we interact with God during those times is a huge part of how we either are overcomers or we're not. All right? He also told them there are going to be a lot of fear. You're going to be, you're going to be fear. People are going to try to kill you in the synagogues. You know, he... He talked about his death, but I think he kind of went over their head. But he's telling 
People are going to be persecuted. People are going to think they're doing God a service if they kill you. And he basically said, you're, you're going to encounter things that are going to increase a level of fear in you that you've never experienced before. So think about what the disciples encountered over the next few days. So when you encounter fear in your life, how we respond in those moments is largely due on how we've been prepared. So whether it's failure moments or now fear moments, but Jesus is kind of, this prayer is basically a prayer kind of helping them understand you're going to deal with all these things, so I'm going to pray for you. So there's also the confusion. They're going to be confused. They don't know what's, they're even asking Jesus, what do you mean you're going somewhere and you may, you're not coming back? We don't know what you mean. We're confused. We don't know what the Holy Spirit is. I mean, they have all these conversations and we're confused by things that God does in our lives. You know, if when the hours come, it's like life doesn't become more predictable, it becomes less predictable. And God becomes less predictable, but he's still God. So there's times of confusion in your life or my life that maybe he's preparing us for, maybe how we pray prepares for. And the last thing, among other things, he told them they're going to be sad. He said, you're going to, be, you're going to have a lot of sorrow coming up in the next few days. You're going to be sad. He said, you're going, to have, you're going to be filled with grief. And again, they're probably thinking to themselves, I mean, we have the advantage of knowing the story. One, one author always said, you've got to be careful when reading the Bible. Don't do any um, flash forwards. Not a flash back, but we know what happens next, so we can kind of assume the disciples are just cool with what he, talk, what he was talking about. They were confused by what he was talking about. He said, you're going to, be, you're going to have deep sorrow. You're going to have sadness because of what you, what's going to be happening. And it wasn't just the next couple days. I think he was saying it's going to be kind of the reality because the hours come. And when the hours come, you're going to be faced with failures, fears, confusion, and sadness. He did say your sadness is going to turn to joy. So he didn't just say, here's all the things you're going to be dealing with, so I better pray for you. He also knew what was coming was a kind of joy they've never experienced, a peace that the world can't give or take away. And then the book of Acts where he have this dramatic sweeping of the Holy Spirit and they're just fully alive, awake, and free. That was coming too. So the hour has come doesn't just mean bad things are going to be happening or challenging things. And it also doesn't just mean, okay, the hour has come, everything's going to be rosy now. It's both. And it's in this context, Jesus prays for them. And I think it's the same context all of our lives are in. All right? So on, your, on the back of your card, go to the next slide now. Or go... Actually, go back. Go back to the one that said, yeah, this one right here. So we're going to start at verse 9. Just follow along with me. Um, for those of you who don't have your reading glasses, I apologize for the, I think it's nine and a half point font. But I'm going to do my best to read it without my reading glasses. But. So this is, the whole chapter is a prayer. He's, again, he's sitting at the table. They actually recline on the ground. They're all sitting around. He just looks up and starts praying for us, the 12 of us, because we're his disciples, right? Verse 9, my prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me because they belong to you. These guys are on the table. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. They make me look good. They make me look good as what God's supposed to be. Now I'm departing from the world. They're staying in the world. But I'm coming to you, Holy Father. You've given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name. 
so they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I've protected them. It's another key word here. I protected them by the power of your name you gave me. I guarded them. So Jesus, I'm, I, I, he's, he's reminding God what he's done. I protected them. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction as the scriptures foretold. So now I'm coming to you. He's praying, hands up in the air, looking up. I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in the world so they'd be filled with my joy. I've given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. And then here's the line we're looking at today, verse 15. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe for the evil one. All right? I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. The goal of the church is not to become this separate holy club where we just hold on until Jesus comes back and keep all the bad, you know, sinful stuff away from us. Jesus is like, no, no, I'm not taking them out. They're going right in. And they're going to experience failure and fear and confusion and sadness. So, Father, I'm praying for them. They're going to need supernatural strength. But the first statement he uses, I mean, is I'm, going to, I'm asking you to keep them safe from the evil one. And he already said he's, I've protected them, I've guarded them. So I'm, keep them safe from the evil one. So now when you hear that, so like, for example, go to the, go to the next slide now. We're going to leave it on here for a while. This is, the one, this is the short phrase. You can pray for anybody. You know, so like I can pray for my son, Mark. Hey, God, keep him safe from the evil one. Now, there's different ways to look at that, and I'll tell you the way I think Jesus was looking. One way is, God, keep all difficulties from his life. Give him a good income, a healthy family, and a happy life. All right? I don't think that's what Jesus was, Jesus didn't mean it that way. And not that he's opposed to having, you know, incomes and families and health and life. Um, and he wasn't simply talking about avoiding flat tires and broken water heaters. They didn't have them those days anyway, but you know what I mean, all right? He wasn't saying keep them from the evil one, you know. There was a sense that he knew the ways that the evil one could capitalize on their fears, their failures, their confusion, and their sadness, right? Keep them safe from the evil one. Because when these times come, the hours come, what's coming next is going to hit them like a Mack truck. And sometimes when we have failure, we start believing what Satan then says to us, yeah, you're always a failure. You think you're a child of God? Forget it. Keep them safe from the evil one. Or fear, I better not speak up as a follower of Jesus because I don't want people to think I'm weird and, and I don't want to have any kind of negative repercussions socially or work-wise, so I'm not going to say anything. And Satan's like, yeah, it's a good strategy. Jesus prays for us, keep them safe from the evil one. Or when there's confusion happening, they're like, we don't know what you're doing, Jesus. We don't know. What do you mean you're coming back? This is one of the disciples asking that. Or when there's confusion in your life. I don't know which is left or right now, God. I don't know. And Satan whispers in our ears, you know, you're on your own now. It's all you. It's a solo act at this point. It's a lie. Jesus, says, Jesus even says in, the, in his prayer, I'm not going to abandon you. But when confusion hits, 
at least I know my, my default is I got to do this. I'm on my own. I want Jesus to help me, but I don't think about that. My, my first reaction is not that. My first reaction is keep them safe from the evil one. Keep them safe from the lie that they're going to be on their own when things get really hard. The last one, sadness. Okay, Jesus, they're going to hit situations, like even in these next few days, they're going to be overwhelmed with sadness. Fear, yes, sadness. Because this guy they love, he's dead. It's on the cross, he's dead. They put him in a tomb. Satan knows how to exploit your times of sadness in life. Because what, what, what tend, the, the lie there is when something happens in your life that causes you sadness, health, money, whatever, relationships. The lie of Satan is the same lie he told Adam and Eve in the garden. God's not really good. He's actually withholding from you. That was the lie in the garden. Eve, you know, you can eat that stuff. You get that tree. God's withholding from you. Because the lie of Satan, one of his favorite lies is, God's not really good. If he was good, this wouldn't have happened to you. If he was good, this wouldn't have happened to your child. If he was good, this wouldn't have happened to your bank account. So God's not really good. So in your sadness, Jesus prays for you and me. Keep them safe from the evil one. Keep them safe from the lies. So Jesus, he wasn't praying that they would be, you know, like I said, about water heaters, flat tires, or, you know, other issues that are like, oh, we don't, you know. He was praying for their internal being, their souls, to be kept safe from the evil one. Even later in the book of 1 John, John wrote this, and then probably 50 years later, he writes 1 John, and he even says, we all know the whole world is under the dominion of the evil one. So we live in a world that's at war. I'm not trying to be like, ooh, ooh, spiritual warfare. No, we live in a world at war. Jesus said that. Either he said that and it's true, or he said that and it was just some kind of gross analogy for difficulty in life. But Jesus didn't say it that way. He said it because he knew you're going to be encountering spiritual Normandy, and you have no idea what's going to hit you. But I'm praying for you. And his prime, one of his, his first statement of prayers, I've protected them, I'm guarding them. Keep them safe from the evil one. There's a passage of scripture that says, the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. All right? So even if I pray this, I'm, I'm really, if I pray this safe for my daughter Allison, God, keep her safe from the evil one. I'm not praying that she won't get mugged. I don't want her to get mugged. She lives in Chicago. I'm not praying that she won't have a flat tire. I mean, she might. I don't want those, but what I'm praying is, would you keep her in the peace that you promised so when confusion, failure, fear, or sadness comes, she doesn't believe what Satan's lying to her about, and she doesn't give up on you, or she doesn't push you back to the corner. So keep, keep her safe from the evil one. Keep her safe from temptation. I mean... The rest of some of Paul's letters even talk about how the evil one had deceived people. So they started starting believing doctrines about God and Jesus that weren't true. You know, so even, even this kind of when people start going off on theological tangents, 
because it fits the culture nuances better, but it's not the truth of God's word. Jesus is praying for that too. Keep them safe from the evil one, the ways that Satan will deceive us. And again, most of the ways he deceives even in doctrine is because of our failures, fears, confusion, and sadness. And how we experience that socially. So, you know, but Jesus prays for us that way. Keep them safe from the evil one. Keep them safe from, and even that opening, if you were here at the beginning, which about two of you were, sorry, just a little bit of rebuke, so. Um, uh, not really. Yes, really. Sorry. Um, we've, the opening psalm, Psalm 8, was talking about how praises, you have ordained praises, even from the lips of children and infant, to silence the voice of the enemy. So there is a point where it's very clear in Scripture that praise, music, whatever, whatever you turns your heart to God, starts turning down the volume on the lying voice of Satan that will say to you, you're on your own. God's not for you. You're going to be really get, you know, the world hates you right now. You better back up, back down. And when you have those times, like I described my last couple of days where I feel like I'm emotionally weary and it's like easy, it's easier for Satan to figure out where to find a whole, you know, stick his foot in the door. The Bible tells us he prowls around like a roaring lion wants to devour us and most of it's going to be trying to devour things happening in our heart and mind. I don't think he's primarily, you know, Satan can, Satan can do things to our bodies, I suppose. He can, I suppose he can cause flat tires. I don't know. Um, but I think Satan is really clever and he knows if he can twist something in our heart or mind or some kind of relationship thereof he, he knows he's got us he doesn't care about our flat he doesn't care if we drive a nice car we never have flat tires if he gets your heart and twists a promise of God or lies to you about God and you're like yeah that might, maybe that is true maybe I am on my own so keep them safe from the evil one so here's my challenge who are you going to pray for? So I, I use this for praying for you, but I also use it praying for my kids, pray for my wife. I don't necessarily have... I started off doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and I was like, I'm just going to see which one grabs me that morning or whatever I see this. I, mean, I can pray for my wife, keep her safe from the evil one, 15 seconds. I'm, yeah, I'm not about efficient. It's not about being efficient in prayer. But... If I just say to God, God, would you just keep her safe in the one? Even if, I, even if there's nothing going on that I know of in her life, if I pray for David that way, just God, keep him safe in the evil one. If these are four ways that Jesus prayed for the disciples in his hour, it might not be a bad idea for us to model this. All right? Keep them safe in the evil one. Guard him from any lies. So, like I said this week, Gretchen just got a job offer this week, but she's been looking for a job for a couple months, and I thought, I, I, I want to pray that she gets a job, and I wanted to pray that she has good and godly friends. That's good. But I thought, I want to make sure I'm praying for her this, this way. God, keep her safe from the evil one. Keep her, away, keep her ears closed to temptation and lies. Um, same for Kathy, you know, same for, I could pray for John. God, keep him safe from the evil one. I could pray for Henry and Olivia. God, keep them safe from the evil one. And I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging you to pray for your children, even if they're young children, because there's no, uh, Satan has no boundaries. It's not like, I won't mess with them until they're eight. 
Satan is, he is, he's ruthless. He will go after your children. I'm not saying that to generate fear. I'm saying that pray for them according to these ways. You know, even if they're, you know, baby in arms, they still have a spirit. They aren't, they're still, they're human, fully human. So um, here's what I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to uh, think of maybe two or three people. Could be your kids, husband, wife, co-worker, mom, dad, anybody. Just people, and in this case, I want them to be people that you believe have the spirit of Jesus in them. Because this, this is part of the part of prayer where Jesus is praying for his disciples. All right? So in a second, I'm going to ask you just to whisper so you can hear them. So you can hear them their name, first name. So like if I'm going to pray for Gretchen, Mark, and Kathy, I'm going to say Gretchen, Mark, and Kathy, all right? Then I'm going to pause. Then I'm going to have you all say out loud to God, keep them safe from the evil one. So we're going to practice praying, right? All right? So on the count of three, I'll give you like 15 seconds just to whisper. And if you have more than three people you want to pray for, then I don't care. Pray as many as you can get in 15 seconds, right? All right? So, uh, and just whisper their first names out loud so you can hear it. Ready? Go. We've, we've just put names before you. You hear our whispers. You heard everything. We don't whisper. You know who we're thinking about. And we're going to ask you. We're going to ask you with boldness this prayer. Now say this out loud with me, the statement on the screen, all right? God, would you keep them safe from the evil one? One more time. Keep them safe from the evil one. So God, all the names that we've just mentioned to you, and Scripture says that you hold bowls of incense that are the prayers of the saints. So as, like I said, if... Katie and Ryan have probably prayed for Olivia and Henry, or Paul and Stephanie might have prayed for Grace and Becca, or some here may have prayed for their adult children. Bill and Judy prayed for Lynn and Trent. And so you got to just, you hear those prayers, and we're asking you, we're praying for them, Jesus, like you prayed for us, because we believe that must be really, really important to ask God to do that for us. And then, Jesus, we're reminded, too, that Scripture says you sit at the right hand of God God, now, this moment, and you plead for us, that you're still praying for us in the same way you prayed for the disciples. So you're praying for Terry Folliwell, that God would keep him safe, the evil one. You're praying that right now. Um, you're praying for John Ubelhair, that you would keep him safe from the evil one. You're praying for uh, Anderson Mart that you would, that God, you would keep him safe from the evil one. You're praying for every single daughter and son who have the spirit of Jesus in you. You're doing that now. And we're grateful, Jesus, that you plead for us in those ways. And we're even told in Scripture that your Holy Spirit pleads for us, even groans without words. But we know that the Prayers of the Holy Spirit will mirror the prayers of Jesus, so I'm sure the Holy Spirit is even praying for us at this moment. Keep them safe from the evil one. So Jesus, I don't know, I know the people here today, but I don't know all the 
failures, fears, confusion, or sadness that may be this day they're walking through. But I know in the midst of that, you can keep them safe from the evil one, and you, Jesus, don't abandon them. So I pray that you would guard our hearts and minds with the peace of God that you promised. You told your disciples you were going to give them peace. We pray for that. We love you, Jesus. And um, thank you for praying for us. And uh, thank you. We ask this on your name. Amen.